potluck afterwards. Everyone is invited to stick around and uh, hear um, a ministry update from Matt Deaver and his, and his wife Trista and uh, their family is here today. So along with that, I'm going to ask Mark and Matt to come on up and uh, they're just going to give you a little teaser for that and uh, hand it over to you, Mark. Well, it's my pleasure to reintroduce Matt Deaver. If you're newer here, you might not have met him yet. Matt and his wife, Trista, are, uh, we have a long connection with you guys, um, going back to high school. And I, th I think I have a little surprise for you, uh, a picture. This is young Matt Deaver on his mission trip in 2000. Um, I think that was about the time the Lord brought you in to salvation. And uh, so he's done a lot in your life since then. And uh, uh, I just want to ask you a few questions. This is just a brief interview as sort of a teaser before our potluck here, so hopefully you'll all stay here afterwards to hear the full report. But first of all, just kind of wanted to ask you um, about your current location and some of the activities going on in your ministry. The Lord has redirected you to another Asian country, so maybe if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, it's great to be here with you all. Um, as Mark said, yeah, we have a long history, and it's always such a joy to come back and just to remember and see familiar faces and see the way that uh, the Lord used many of you in this room to help me come to faith in Christ and know what it looks like to follow Jesus. So it's a great honor to be back with you. Uh, we, are, we, we were in Nepal for a couple of years, as, as most of you know, and we've been back stateside for almost a year, or a little over a year now, uh, seeking out some health restoration and, and just waiting on the Lord and uh, originally desiring to return back to Nepal. But as we've been here waiting on the Lord and seeking out counsel, God, we feel that God is redirecting us. And our hope is to get to capitalize on that opportunity to share the gospel and help equip these people to go back to their countries and, and reach some of the most unreached people in the world. So, Thanks. so um, share with us just a, a couple of the things you're excited about where you see the Lord working through you guys in the ministry. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing we're excited about is, is we came back a year ago really, um, really in a hurting position and in need of the Lord to heal and restore. So we, we went to Nepal at a really difficult time. And, and my wife especially experienced um, significant suffering and, and health issues. And so when we came back, that was really what we were, we were just waiting on the Lord. We were asking you and many others to join us in praying that God would grant healing and restoration. And he has answered those prayers. And so I think for us, that's just, we're just rejoicing in the Lord's faithfulness to, to restore health, to be with us. Um, one thing we feel again and again, and, and we've heard again and again as we're moving forward in this new direction, is, is that the Lord is with us. We know in the, the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go into, go into the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, teaching them to obey, baptizing them. And he says, surely I'm with you, uh, even to the end of the age. And so we have just really experienced the Lord being with us as we're going. And so we've had great opportunities even on our vision trip in February, we had many opportunities to share the gospel with several people who uh, you know, are from a Muslim background that have not heard the gospel before. And we're just excited for more open doors and opportunities to engage in that kind of work. So, What are two or three things we can pray for you guys for as you're... 
Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is just as we're transitioning again, uh, we've had a lot of transition, as is typical for this kind of work, but uh, an unusual amount of, you know, coming back a year ago from Nepal and, and then resettling in Louisville for a year uh, and then moving out of there again and now moving to a new country. We've, the, the kids have especially just put down roots for short seasons and then have those torn up again. And so that's, that's been a difficult process. And we, we're just praying that the Lord uh, would keep giving them tender hearts and, and help us shepherd them through those, those seasons and that process. So I think transition is a huge prayer request as, as we go to a new country and seek to uh, establish community there and new friendships. Uh, another big uh, prayer request would be for a visa a long-term visa. So we likely will have up to nine months on a short-term visa, but within that time frame, we need to uh, get on a longer visa platform. And so if you would just pray that God would provide the right partnership with either a business or some other opportunity, uh, that will enable us to stay there. And then thirdly, um, the reason we're going there is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we do that in weakness and, and you know, our ability, uh, pray that God's spirit would work with great power and, and draw many people to himself and bring about transformation that only he can do. And so I think those are the three big areas of prayer requests for us. Yeah. Well, thanks. Let's just pray with Matt here and commit him and Trista and their family to the Lord. Lord, we just think back to a time when you saved this young man and our, through our church, and now you've put a burden on his heart to go to all peoples. We thank you for that and praise you for that. We just ask now as they go out in faith that you would watch over them and their family, help them as they make the transition and all the dynamics with their family and the kids and all that, Lord. Just help them through this time. And we pray that you provide for every need, every spiritual and emotional need, financial need, and that you would prepare the soil, that the soil would be ready to hear the gospel, that as they go out in faith and preach and teach the gospel, that hearts would hear it, receive it, that it would be watered and grow and produce fruit, that you would bless their ministry, Lord. We just thank you for Matt. Thank you for Trista. Thank you for the healing and restoration you brought to them this past year. We thank you for the life-changing message of the gospel where even the hardest of hearts can be changed and regenerated uh, from a life of wickedness and sin into everlasting life because of what your son has done for us on the cross. Um, may you go with them. May you bless them abundantly. May you pour out their sp your spirit on their ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Just want to encourage you to join us after the service. I'm looking forward to getting to know Matt and Trista and their family. Uh, just... Um, I get kind of juiced up when I hear about the, the gospel touching a young life through the ministry of the church, which is God's institution and plan for reaching the world. And then those young people grow up and they go out to sow the seeds of the gospel around the world, which is actually what all of us are supposed to be doing. Uh, not necessarily in Nepal, but just where we're at. Please pray with me if you would. Father in heaven, uh, we come to continue to worship you. 
the God of heaven, who alone created us, who alone owns us, who alone is able to redeem us. And we ask that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, so that we too might be transformed. Some of us brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and some of us who are in the kingdom of light able to live more consistently for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Judy Mulvey uh, shared the following story in Reader's Digest. She said, my dad's kind of old school. You know, the kind of guy who takes his money and puts it under the mattress, except he kept his money in an underwear drawer. One day, I bought him a unique gift, a safe, if you will. It was a paint can with a false bottom in it, so that he could put his money in the bottom of the paint can and set it on his workbench in his garage. No thief would ever think to look in his garage on the workbench and take that for his money. So I gave him the gift, and then I asked my mom a little bit later, I said, hey, mom, did, did dad use his gift? And he, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he took his money right away, and he put it in the false bottom of that paint can. And she goes, oh, good, because no thief would ever think to look on his workbench. And she goes, they won't have to. He put the paint can in his underwear drawer. I tell that story because a lot of us are creatures of habit. We find a routine. We get comfortable. And we really don't want to change. And we become these creatures of habit. And creatures of habit, those habits, those methods and motives that keep us locked into doing what we, they can keep us from enjoying a lot of life. They can keep us from enjoying what God has for us. Our commitment to personal Comfort keeps us from experiencing those things. If, if Marla and I hadn't been willing, and I attribute my wife more to this than me, because I'm more of a creature of habit than my wife is. She's a lot more spontaneous. But if it hadn't been for some spontaneity, some willingness to be uncomfortable on a vacation once, we never would have met our dear brother Mario. Now, brother Mario also taught us to scuba dive. But we never would have done it if we hadn't have stepped out and walked for a couple of miles down to a town we didn't know in a place we were strangers at and visited a church we'd never been to, and we met Brother Mario. The same motives, the same methods that keep us locked in and from enjoying life's experiences can keep us dead and dull in our walk with God. And so I'm really grateful for this passage that we're going to look at this morning because in Psalm 19, the psalmist David unlocks for us some of the keys to keeping our lives from becoming lives, our spiritual lives, from becoming lives of habit and more lives of holiness, directing us into what it really means to become creatures of holiness. He shows us how the works of God and the Word of God reveal the glory of God in order to deepen our walk with God. The works of God and the Word of God revealing the glory of God help deepen our walk with God. In Psalm 19, uh, we see two lessons for becoming creatures of holiness rather than creatures of habit. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm 19. There are a few Bibles or 
I shouldn't say pew Bibles, chair Bibles. They're Bibles underneath your chairs if you don't have a Bible. Psalm 19. And here the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens... He has made a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run its race. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. They're more desirable than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Two lessons in the text. The first is to reflect on God's glory. How it is that we are to reflect on God's glory. And the text mentions two places that reveal the glory of God to us. The first is that God's glory is revealed to us in what is called by theologians general revelation. It's in creation. Okay? And there are three facts, and this is in verses 1 through 6, and three facts about God's glory that I see in the text if we look at it. First of all, the source of God's glory, which I don't really know if I like the word source of God's glory, because the source of God's glory is God. But the place where we see God's glory revealed in creation that's mentioned here in the text is the heavens. How do the heavens reveal the glory of God? I want you to look at this uh, slide that I have in here, okay? The picture, okay? Revealing the glory of God. A sunrise. This is a sunset. A sunrise and a sunset. The, the billowing clouds of an approaching thunderstorm. What I do miss about uh, the vast expanse of northwest Iowa is that when you left town, which took you about 30 seconds, you could see the massive cloud fronts that were moving in, indicating that there was a storm on the way. Or it's a meteor shower or a constellations that you see at night. These are the things that display the creation of God, aside from their beauty, is the symmetry and the sheer power that's revealed in these things that God has created. I find it fascinating that the Polynesians, like a thousand years ago, were navigating the oceans with nothing more than the constant and reliable rising and setting of the sun. 
their knowledge of the lunar cycle, their understanding that the constellations appear in patterns at particular points in time all the time, they maintain that pattern. And they navigate around the world using nothing but what God has created, which testifies and screams that there is a creator. I think it's what, and maybe it's Ken Ham who says, you know, saying that we just got here and all this just happened by chance is like saying that a tornado went through a junkyard and out came a Boeing 747. You know, it's like, it just, it's too much. Then there's the frequency of the revelation, which if you look with me at, at verses 1 and 2, the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring His works. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. Every single day, every single night, God is screaming at us, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Romans chapter 1 uh, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, For from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen by what is made so that they are without excuse. What does he mean? Every day you and I walk outside, God is screaming at us that he exists. So that we are without excuse before a holy and righteous God because those who ignore Him, those who reject Him, have all the evidence around them that He exists. When was the last time you just sat and looked at the blue sky? I want you to see this next slide that I have is a picture. Now see how blue the sky is. Oh, okay, no big deal. What about... The sunset, the different hues of color, and the reflection off the water. And isn't it amazing that Romans says that this is a creation that groans? I mean, it's not as good as it gets. It's going to be better. But these testify to the reality of God. Day after day, they pour forth speech. I remember as a 20-year-old college student sitting up on the mountains in western Wyoming, and looking at the Milky Way. There was not a street light within, you know, 40 miles. There was no major city within probably 100 miles. You could see the Milky Way from one part of the sky clear across to the other. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. I wonder if you are like me and the grind of our life keeps us from seeing the glory of God. Every day we go by, every night, just routine things just happening, going along, and we miss this massive demonstration. Anybody here take time out on August 21st, 2017 to watch the solar eclipse? Yeah? That's amazing. Now, I didn't watch it. Okay, we did the thing with the paper, you know, and cut the thing in the paper and watched it on the... because I didn't want to burn my eyeballs out, okay? It's amazing how God is, 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 does this. Then we see that the surety... And the scope of God's glory. In verses 3 and 4, there is no speech or language where their words are not heard. 
goes to the ends of the world. You cannot escape God's glory. Now, you can ignore it. I can ignore it, but I can't escape it. It's amazing to me that the same moon, the same full moon in Europe is the same full moon in the United States. And I've been, you know, eight hours removed or seven hours removed from my family, and I'm watching the, the moon, and they're watching the sunset. And as I watch the sunset, they're seeing the moon. It's the same wherever you are. And then we see in verses 5 and 6 that the, the surety of God's testimony in creation is amplified with these metaphors, like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Now, I can testify to this. The day I got married, I couldn't wait for the wedding to start. You cannot keep the bridegroom from the wedding. It's going to happen. He's there. He's showing up. Sometimes the bride's ditch, but the bridegroom is, is there, you know. <laughs> so, uh. and then he says, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. By God's grace and the generosity of someone in our congregation, I took my daughter to the Drake Relays, and we watched them run the 1,600, the men run the 1,600 meters. I mean, these guys are like well-oiled machines. There were three men in the pack who ran under four minutes. Now, I mean, you know, anybody who knows anything about track, you know, to run around once in 60 seconds, okay, that is like not very many people can do that. But then to make four laps, all of them in under 60 seconds is like amazing. Like, I mean, these guys are ready to go. And God says the, the sun is like ready to go every morning, coming up to testify to his glory. And, his, and the scope of it, it crosses the sky from one, one side of the sky to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now, last December 31st, I thought we were hidden from his heat. Uh, when it was 22 below zero and I woke up the, that morning and the sun was shining, but I'm thinking, where is the heat? In an amazing fact, did you know that the sun is closest to the earth during winter in the northern hemisphere? It's furthest away from us now. But the angle of the earth and the rotating on its axis makes the, direct, the sun more direct in the summer, even though it's further away. Can you imagine what would happen if it was close and we were tilted like we are now? Boom! We'd be fried. That would be global warming. Okay, uh, that, that would be global warming. But here we have it. And so how is it that the, the glory of God is seen through the, through the creation, through the heavenly bodies and the heavenly beings? I just suggest a few things. First of all, we see that God is powerful. The sun and the moon and the stars, God created them, and then he controls them. That's his power. Not only is, do we see that he's powerful, but we see that he is gracious. What a blessed thing that, that God in His grace has given us not just this beauty to enjoy, but He's given us this earth in which we can inhabit because of the way He has structured it and created it. It's His world, the sun and the moon, and all of that controls the, the hydrological cycle, which is a fancy word for saying it rains and then it, uh, then it evaporates and then it goes up into clouds and then it rains and then it waters the earth and then we're taken care of. And then the orderliness of it. 
I'm personally fascinated by the intricacies and interconnectedness between all of the planetary objects and the sun and the moon and how the rotation of the earth around the, the, the sun and the tilt of its axis and the distance between the sun and the earth and all of the complexities of that and the gravitational pearls and the forces and the waves and all that stuff all works out so what? We can live on planet earth. And you know what gets me? We've been working for years to find out some other inhabitable planet, right? And the skeptics still miss the fact that it is only by God's grace that we are able to live here. And, you know, you don't get like a second or third chance. I mean, either the conditions are right or they're not for us to exist. Then we see God's glory is revealed in the next section, 7 through 14, not just through his works, general revelation, but through his word, special revelation, the theologians call it. And there are three insights from God's word in the text that point us to God's glory. First of all, God's word is beneficial. In your bulletin, you have on the back side of the, one of those inserts kind of a graph, a spreadsheet, if you will. Well, here we see that uh, God's Word is beneficial, and there is a structure in verses 7 through 9 that is this repetition, okay? A repetitive parallel structure or pattern that consists of these things. There is a name or a title given to God's Word. Then there is a characteristic, a description of God's Word. And then there is a result, a benefit, or some action that God's work takes. And so as we work through each of those verses... We'll see this played out. So in verse 7, we see that God's Word is, is beneficial. All right? Uh, I'm not sure that's working out for everybody. Yeah, okay, it's great. Good. That's, you got that, that up there, all right? So verse 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect. The law is the name, okay, for the Word of God. And the law of the Lord is, is perfect, which means it lacks nothing. And therefore, it revives the soul. That's the benefit. So it revives or restores the soul. You see, God's Word is beneficial to instruct us. God's Word is beneficial to inspire us to return or turn from our sin and return to Him so that we can enjoy full fellowship with God. That's what it means, restore our soul. The idea of being restored or revived is that somehow I got unrevived. I got unrestored. You know, you know, you're on your computer, you have a little button up there at the top that says restore, you know, kind of rewinds and comes back to that same web page. Okay, so that's kind of it. We push the little half circle button, you know, the, the, counter, the clockwise arrow thing, and it restores because God's Word instructs us. It inspires us with truth that convicts us of sin and then causes us to repent and turn so that we can enjoy right relationship with God once again. That's the benefit of God's Word. And no place else. The law of the Lord is perfect, sufficient to instruct us and encourage us. Okay, honesty. How many of you, when you're driving and you see a police car, immediately hit the brake? See, the presence of the police car restores us to appropriate speed. God's Word is 
that which restores us. It instructs us. It inspires us. It convicts us. It directs us to live rightly for Him. And notice it continually does that. It doesn't just do it once. It does it again and again and again, if we allow it. Secondly, the testimony of the, testimony of the Lord, that's the name given to God's Word, the testimony is sure, it is reliable, it is certain. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. You don't have to doubt it. It's always going to be true. Is sure. And what is the result? What's the benefit? It makes us wise. I like that. It makes the simple wise. And I like that because I consider myself a simple person. So I think, oh, I got a chance. You know, I've got hope. I'm one of those 1 Corinthians 1 people, you know. And uh, there's not many in the world who are wise, not many are wealthy, not many people know a whole lot of stuff. And God's word is for those people. Amen. You know, that's me. So I'm like, good, because I have a chance. But he makes wise the simple, the unchanging nature of God's word gives us absolute truth and keen insight so that we live sensibly, so we can live prudently, so that we can live better than a lot of other people if we listen to his word. It gives us ability to live wisely and sensibly in every circumstance. I mean, think about life. See, this is what really gets me about the Bible. It's like if I'm trying to figure out how to raise my children. Ooh, there's the Bible. If I'm trying to figure out how, what to do with my finances. Oh, yeah, the Bible has something to say about that. If I'm trying to understand about relationships and conflict. Yeah, the Bible talks to that. If I'm understanding what it means to forgive and how, I, how that works out in life and what it means to live in harmony with people. Yeah, the Bible talks about that. What do I do when I, I experience loss? What do I do when I'm disappointed? What do I do when I'm depressed? What do I do when I'm discouraged? The Bible speaks to it. I read an article once, or I, I mean, I watched a video once. It was on evangelism. And there was a young couple, an unbelieving couple, uh, in the video, and they were meeting with the believers, uh, people who knew Jesus, and these people who knew Jesus were, had kids, and this other believing couple had kids, and the unbeliever said to the believing couple, you know, like, where, where do you learn all that stuff about how to raise your kids? And they said, well, most of it's in the Bible. Most of it's in the Bible. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. It opens our eyes. The precepts of the Lord, that's the third one. The precepts, which is the name or the requirements uh, and the promises of God, are right. Precepts are requirements and promises, okay? So what God requires and what God promises, they're right. They're just, and they bring joy. Because what God requires is just, and because what God is, promises is just, when we do what God asks, and when we claim what God promises, it brings joy to our hearts. Because He doesn't ask us to do anything that's unjust. So, for example, when, uh, in Mark chapter 10, when uh, Jesus told the, the disciples, He says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, or to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. God calls us to serve. Oh, yeah, right. That's no fun. No, but Jesus served us. 
And so his call for us to serve as the followers of Jesus is absolutely just and absolutely fair. And when we do, it brings joy. Some of you will remember, some of you are old enough to remember, some of you weren't even born yet in April of 1973 when there was a blizzard in central Iowa. I think I, do I have a slide of that one? No, we can't go to it probably. Yeah, we can. Okay. So here we are, real reminiscing here. April of 1973, we got like 15 inches of snow and uh, 40 mile an hour winds, and it was nasty. And my dad said to me, Steve, go across the street to Ethel Tassie's and scoop her driveway. <laughs> For free. <laughs> what? I mean, I'm 12 years old, and, and Ethel Tassie has a big driveway, a double, I mean, at that time you had a two-car garage you were living, okay, so it was a big driveway, and I scooped the whole thing out, and I thought, I'm not so excited about this idea of doing free labor. But later, I realized that I was serving Ethel. She was a single gal, you know, seemed old to me. She was probably my age, you know, now, 50s, you know. Uh, seemed like ancient, you know, when you're 12. Anybody over 25 is old. And so I thought, wow. And so God brought joy to my heart, and that's what God does. His Word does. His precepts are right. What He requires is, is absolutely just of us to be forgiving, to be loving, to serve, to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. To give as we have been given is God's blessing for us. And his promises are just as well. What truth. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Psalm 34, verse 15, the, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his hear, ears are open to their cry. Do you believe that God hears your prayers? Do you believe that God will never leave you or forsake you? Do you believe that when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, He forgives you of all of your sins? That's what it says in Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. These are promises that bring joy to our heart. And here's the deal. Those without Christ don't know the joy. They look at us and they go, what are you doing that for? Why are you, oh, you can't, you can't do this, you can't, that's what Christianity is, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't, no. I have a God who's instructed me in precepts that are requirements that he asks of me that bring joy to my heart when I do them and promises that give me joy when I claim them. Then the commandment of the Lord in verse 8, in the second part, is the commandment of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's morally pure, without blemish. It's kind of like there's three umpires that, that, that were talking, you know, baseball umpires, and the umpires are sitting there talking, and one guy says, you know, summer balls and summer strikes, but they ain't nothing till I call them. The other guy says, summer balls and summer strikes, I call them like I see them. The other guy says, summer balls and someone strikes, I call them like they are. God calls them like they are. His commandments are pure. 
And so what he says is what is true. And what he says is true. What does it do? The text says, what's the benefit? It enlightens our eyes. The light shines in the darkness and opens our eyes to the truth. That's what he does. It's Psalm 109, 119, verse 105. It's a light unto our path, and a lamp unto our way. He opens our eyes that we might see. When I was a kid, we went to Mark Twain Cave in Hannibal, Missouri. Temperature 45 degrees constant inside of Mark Twain Cave. And we went down there, and the guy flipped the light switch, and it's like, whoa. Now, you couldn't see anything. I mean, it was just pitch black. One little LED light, you know. I mean, you know, it's just one little light shines brightly in the darkness. And the Word of God is the light that shines in the darkness. God's Word is a light to our way in a sin-darkened world. And I would say and suggest to you that the world is tainted because the world celebrates perversity. The world cheapens humanity. The world champions moral relativity, compromises integrity. It condones promiscuity, and it's confused about gender identity. The world is a mess. And we have the light of God's truth that shines brightly in the darkness to give us a way, a beacon of hope, a beacon of guidance. The fear of the Lord, which is the next title. The fear of the Lord is clean without spot, and its benefit is that it endures forever. You know what is corrupt, corrodes, and decays? I got this little patch on my van that's got rust on it, you know? And so I... I put some roofing tar in there, you know. It's because I'm such a body mechanic. Talk to Norb. Uh, Norb is our resident body guy. So, uh, Norb, I'm, I confess, I put, but I think it's going to hold better than anything else I would do. So, I'm sticking with my plan. Got a rust in your vehicle, and you don't really have to show it off at the car show? A little roofing tar works. Okay. Uh, for a while. But here's the deal. What is corrupt decays. God's Word is not corrupt. It's clean. And it lasts forever. And Jesus said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. His Word is true. It's going to last forever. It's clean. It endures forever. Mark 13, 31 says that. You can write that down and refer to it later. Someone once said, we have chosen what we value. Only time will tell of its worth. Do you value the Word of God which is permanent, or do we value that which corrupts and decays? Then, finally, he said, the judgments of the Lord, that's the name of it, the judgments of the Lord in, in, in verse 9, are true, certain, dependable and they are righteous altogether. Now, here's where it gets a little hairy because that righteous altogether part, it's really kind of a benefit, but it's a little bit more of a description. Okay, so, you know, the, the pattern kind of, oh, well, if you're really a, a stickler for the pattern, it kind of falls apart here. But in, in effect, the righteous altogether, it's true and it's righteous altogether means that it's trustworthy. One time I was uh, with my older sister and we were, kind of being ornery, and we were at my grandpa's house, and my grandpa came down hard on my sister. He was like, what are you doing? Discipline my sister. And now, when my grandpa disciplined, it was, it was a sure deal. I mean, it was certain. 
So just like God's word is certain, is true, it was true. It was going to happen. But it wasn't altogether righteous because I had some uh, fault in the process. I was not innocent by any means, so I had some blame. So God's word is true, and it's altogether righteous. The glories of God revealed through his word in verses 7 through 9 then are expounded upon and summarized in verses 10 and 11. These last two benefits kind of apply to all that is said in verses 10 and 11. And we see two of them. First of all, God's word is desirable. More desirable than gold. I don't think I... Well, I have, I have a gold ring, okay? That's the only gold I own that I know of. I uh, don't have any gold in my teeth. Uh, some people have gold in their head, you know, and they got holes in their head and they fill it with gold. Uh, that... I have a gold ring, but it's more desirable than gold, which is the most precious and valuable of all metals. And then he says this, and that kind of blows me, then much gold. Okay, yeah, well, I'm sure the word is more valuable than my one ring. But you know, if I own Fort Knox, the word is more valuable than that. It's more desirable or more desirable than, than gold, than much fine gold. Then it's more profitable he says more, more profitable in the sense that by it is your servant warned. And in keeping it, there is great reward. I love the two-edged sword of that. It, it, it prevents me from making mistakes, and it rewards me when I follow his path. It's a warning, and it's profitable. Now, we can heed man's reward and all that stuff, and it benefits a little bit. God's word is better. So we, we, we reflect on God's glory. Then the last two verses deal with our response, or three verses, our response to God's glory. When we reflect on the glory of God in his works and his word, what does that do in our life? Well, he tells us in verses 12 through 14, the intense longing of his soul for purity is motivated, is driven, because he has seen the glory of God in his creation and in his word. And there are three desires that he shares with us that call me to follow his leading, a desire to be cleansed from unintentional sin. He says in verse 12, who can discern his errors? This is Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, you can't even know. I can't even know the extent of my wickedness. But here is heart. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me means find me innocent of secret sin. What I hear in the psalmist, what I hear in David is he understands how subtle sin is. He understands how serious sin is. He understands how secret sin can be in our heart and our soul. We don't even know we're doing it. Reminds me of Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 5, his children had this cycle where they'd have parties for everybody's birthday. Well, they had a lot of kids, so they had a lot of parties. And so after every party, what did Job do? He offered sacrifices to God for his children, for perhaps they have committed a sin against God. I don't know about you, but I'm not as tuned in as David was to the extent of my sin. It's subtle, it's serious, and it's oftentimes secret, and he wanted to be cleansed from those sins. He had a desire also to be kept from 
known sins, presumptuous sins, sins of presumption, sins of willful disobedience. Keep also your servant back from willful sins. May they not rule over me, was his, his statement. And then he said he had a desire to live godly. Look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth, this is the one most of you know from Psalm 19. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I think David said the works of God and the word of God revealed the glory of God and it revealed the depravity of man. He saw in the glory of God his own sinfulness. And he was convicted. See, the works of God and the word of God are enough to convict us of our sin. But it's only the word of God that reveals the redeemer of mankind that is able to save us from our sin. And save us from our sin. The word introduces us to the redeemer who is able to break us free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. This is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But he has said earlier in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe, resulting in righteousness, with the mouth you confess, resulting in salvation. Is it David? The word... And the works of God lead me to the Son of God. That God is a redeemer, a redeeming God who sent His Son. He died on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay because God's glory reveals our corruption so that we can enjoy forgiveness and the promise of eternal life. And He's the rock. He's not only our Redeemer, the one who rescues us from the slave market of sin. That's what redeem means, to purchase out of. We're slaves in the market of sin, and he purchased us out of them with his own precious blood. And the rock is the one upon which we stand, who gives us courage and boldness to keep going in the midst of this life. Now, if you're here this morning and you're kind of like, well, you know, I, I don't really hear God speaking to me in the creation. And I certainly don't hear God speaking to me in His Word because I don't read it. What I would suggest to you is that it's not an audible voice in creation. But the intricacies and the delicacies and the interrelatedness and interconnectedness of creation should take any intellectually honest person and cause them to say, did this just all happen by chance? I don't think so. It seems a little too complicated for that. And stir within you at least a heart that is open to consider that there is a God who has a claim on your life. And those of us who are children of God to ponder the works and the Word of God and the glory of God. Ponder His works that reveal His glory and profit from His Word which reveals His glory. I love this quote from Abraham Lincoln. I am profitably engaged in reading the Bible. Take all of this book upon reason that you can and, blame, and the balance by faith, and you will live to die a better man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated through this book. All the things desirable to man are contained in it. God's glory is revealed through general, crea general revelation. 
his works and special revelation, his word. And those two witnesses are enough to convict us of our sin. But there is another form of special revelation that has enabled us to be redeemed and free from our sin, and that is the person of Jesus. And as we celebrate communion, what we do is we remember that special revelation of Jesus and what he did which enabled us to be free from sin and death. So that when we take the bread, it's a remembrance of his body that was broken, and the cup is a remembrance of his blood that was shed, so that all who believe that his death paid the price that we deserve would be free from sin and death. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that you would never sin again. But we'd free from the penalty of sin. And free from the power of sin. So that now we would have a choice. We wouldn't have to do that. We can let the Word of God wash over us and lighten our eyes, purify our hearts, rejoice our hearts, and cleanse us and cure us. So if you're an unbeliever and you consider the sacrifice that we're celebrating, it could be the signpost. This could be the day. You say, I'm going to take this bread and drink this cup as a declaration that I'm now trusting in Jesus. I crossed over from self-directed life to surrendered life in Christ. And those of us who know Jesus, we celebrate that God in His mercy would care enough to take those of us who deserve judgment and He would pour out His life so that we could live. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as everyone here who knows Jesus, I ask that, that we would feel free to take of these elements after we've spent a few moments reflecting on our own hearts and getting our hearts right with you. I praise you, Father, for your works and your word which reveal your glory, and I pray that you would allow the glory of God to make us creatures of holiness and not just creatures of habit. God, help us not to read your word just to get it done. Help us not to just do acts of kindness because that's what we're supposed to do. Help us to grow in our awareness of your love for us and live our lives out of the overflow of our relationship with you. As we take these elements, Lord, help us to reflect and remember and rejoice. We pray in Jesus' name.